How hot is it there? Oh my god. Today is literally the fucking hottest day that we've hit. I don't know. Let's check. Hold on. Oh my god. Because I feel hot here. My computer's overheating. I had to turn my air conditioner off. And it's the worst. <laughs> it is so hot here. It is an oven. Per use. That's why per I left. Use. Oh, it changed. It says maybe only 108 today. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to anyone who says it's just a dry heat, you go stick your head in an oven because that's what it feels like. Yes. And like burning. Like the sun burns you. Yeah. Caveat, please don't stick your head in an oven. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, my name is Ellen. And my name's Alyssa, and welcome to the Modern Singer Podcast. Today we are diving into the musical theater crossover. I am so excited. I like, I don't even have time to chit chat. I have been so excited about this. It took me four hours to write these notes because I was doing research and I was getting very distracted in all of the all of the Broadway cast recordings that I was listening to. I got so distracted. <laughs> It's a fun series, you know? It's it's fun for everybody. It's so much fun. I love this series. So as a reminder, all of this music is going to be on our Spotify playlist. It's all going to be in one place for the entirety of our rep series. But nowadays, most opera companies are doing at least one musical theater or operetta in their season. I absolutely love working on building people's books. So if you're interested in learning more or talking about the shows that we haven't talked about in this episode, definitely shoot me a DM. We are just scratching the surface here and I had to cut a lot of things down. (laughs) Like I completely skipped a lot of shows. Right. We're just giving you an overview of some of the biggest crossover shows with options for legit numbers and a couple of bell options that we tossed in. If you want to hear more about how to build your book, or if you just want to know more about musical theater auditions in general, you can go back and check out our episode 13, where we break down musical theater auditions. I will say I did not use very many resources when I wrote this. The only resource I really used was Wikipedia to make sure that all of my synopses were correct. So if you have a chance to donate a dollar to Wiki to thank them for me, please do. Let's jump in. Some of the most popular composers that opera companies go to are Gilbert and Sullivan, Rodgers and Hammerstein, Stephen Sondheim, and Disney stage musicals, which is a new trend that I am about. I know, same. Well, not all of them. I don't think an opera company is ever going to do Frozen. You know, I don't know. Never say never, right? I'm going to say never. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they can get someone who can sing Monster. (laughs) Like, there's a lot of us that do crossover, but I don't think they want to do it. Not too many companies do super contemporary pieces because they are more complex and they have a lot more vocal needs, but some companies are starting to, so I guess I can't really say never, but I am going to, and if I'm wrong, cast me. Well, also a lot of, a lot of like Gilbert and Sullivan and like R&H are, they're golden age, so the way that they're sung is kind of operatic. It could be done musical It's called legit musical theater, which is a style. I think I talked about it in episode 13. It's just, it's too much for us to get into. I've got six pages of notes. It's too much for us to get into on this episode without being like three hours long. If you want us to dive into it, DM us. These composers like Sondheim, R&H, lend themselves more to operatic style, operatic singing. Whereas, you know, like Disney is, is more legit musical theater. Shows that are commonly done that we aren't going to talk about today include Fiddler on the Roof, Company, Porgy and Bess, Candide, Oklahoma, The Music Man, Kismet, Sound of Music, Merry Widow, and West Side Story, along with so many more. Like those are some really common ones that I just, I didn't have time to touch today. And they're already in a lot of people's audition books. We just don't have time. So make sure that you check them out if you haven't today. 
popular GNS shows are HMS Pinafore, The Mikado, and Pirates of Penzance, which are done a lot as well. They are the three most common GNS shows that are done by opera companies. I checked. So let's jump into HMS Pinafore. Uh, Pinafore is a comic operetta in two acts. The story takes place aboard a Royal Navy ship, the HMS Pinafore, hence the name. The captain's daughter, Josephine, is in love with a lower-class sailor, Ralph, although her father intends for her to marry Sir Joseph Porter um, because of class. She abides by her father's wishes at first, but Sir Joseph's advocacy of the equality of humankind encourages Ralph and Josephine to overturn conventional social order. So basically her intended fiancé said, class doesn't matter, and she went, yeah, and then he went, wait. <laughs> <laughs> wait, it, it does? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Ralph and Josephine declare their love for each other and eventually plan to elope. The captain discovers this plan, but as in most GNS operas, a surprise disclosure changes things dramatically near the end of the story. Dun dun bow. Exactly. <laughs> Everything ends happy in a GNS show. Like, audiences of the day would have it no other way. There was always, whenever GNS were writing a show, if one show closed, the next show was already in rehearsals and opening like a week later. Like, people loved these shows because they all had happy endings. Little Buttercup is a mezzo and she sings Hail Men Awards Men. Basically, a Portsmouth dockside vendor comes on board to sell her wares to the crew. She hints that she may be hiding a dark secret under her, quote, gay and frivolous exterior. Ooh. She's a sex worker. <laughs> like, in common shows, she's like, pretty commonly like displayed as a sex worker because she's like coming on a ship full of men who've been at sea and haven't seen a woman in so long that they decided that manatees were mermaids <laughs> perfect let me sell my <laughs> wares to you <laughs> they do be desperate the next song is a maiden's fair to see uh sung by ralph who is a tenor he sings that basically he's the smartest lad in all the fleet. He enters declaring his love for the captain's daughter, Josephine, and it's just a fun... It's a fun little bop. A fun little bop, yeah. He's in love. He thinks this is smart. He feels like he's got this. Pirates of Penzance is another comic opera. The story concerns Frederick, who, having completed his 21st year, is released from his apprenticeship to a band of tender-hearted pirates where he meets the daughters of Major General Stanley, including Mabel, and the two youngs, two little youngins fall in love. Frederick soon learns, however, that he was born on the 29th of February, and so technically he only has a birthday once every leap year, and his indenture specifies that he was to remain apprenticed to the pirates until his, quote, 21st birthday, meaning that he must serve for another 63 years. Got him. Of course, because that's how that works. Bound by his own sense of duty, Frederick's only solace is that Mabel agrees to wait for him faithfully. So Mabel is the lead soprano of There's Usually Only One. She sings Poor Wandering One after Frederick reveals himself, startling the girls, and begs them to help him change his ways. Apparently he's like this floundering boy, because of course he is. And everyone is fascinated by him, but they all reject him, except for Mabel, who offers her pity, and then they fall in love, as you do. Next up is honestly one of my favorite baritone. So good. Oh my gosh. I don't know how I would feel hearing this in an audition, but if someone came into an audition and actually sang the pants off of this, I would probably cast them in whatever they wanted. So it's, I am the very moderate, I, oh God, I can't even say it at my speed. I am the very model of a modern major general. 
It's such a tongue twister, but this patter song is one of the hardest I could possibly imagine. Mabel's father, the major general, begs the pirates not to take his daughters, leaving him to face his old age alone. So basically, it's a sad dad singing a funny song, which is just a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It is a big tongue twister, and it is really, really fun when done. It's so many words. None of them repeat. The Mikado is actually the only show that we could find that had a dedicated contralto role. Like we said in the last episode, contralto roles are hard to come by. I will say I did find some other contralto like songs, but we're going to talk about them later. Set in definitely made up Japan because a lot of people, especially um, British people, have not been to Japan. So they're just making it up thinking designing what they think Japan should look like. Um, basically, to mask that criticism with exaggerated sing-songy names and simplistic stereotypes. This plot definitely has not aged well. Uh, it gets a lot of flack when people do it due to these stereotypes. It's racist. Yeah, it's definitely racist, but it is still performed regularly. Um, some people try to update it. I did see a cast that was all AAPI cast in this. Except for the people that were, like, supposed to be white. Like, it was cast with AAPI people telling a story their way. That production of it, I did like. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's hard. This show has a lot of problems. Directors. Yeah. I wish people would stop doing it. Yeah, I think it's definitely hard for stage directors when they're hired for shows that were written in times uh, where... Of massive racism. racism. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Where people were not using facts (laughs) to make movies and plays and operas and musical theater. And so it's it's really hard to go back when the whole plot line is based on racism. But uh, here we are. It is done. And we thought we should mention it. The Contralto piece is alone and yet alive. There's a lot of convoluted love triangle mess here. But The long and short of it is Katisha's intended Coco has been falsely declared dead and has been falsely declared dead to get him out of their engagement. Coco knows that if he doesn't marry Katisha, he'll face a painful and drawn out death, which sucks. This is basically Katisha's morning song of losing him to be left alone. Sondheim has long been a staple for opera companies. His writing has been so crucial to musical theater history, in fact, that in most audition books, it's pretty much expected that you have at least one of his pieces to offer. So let's start with Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street, who has now escaped prison. After being sent away for a crime that he did not commit, Sweeney is now on a rampage to kill Judge Turpin, the Beatle, and anyone else who stands in his way to get revenge for his supposed murder of his wife and the theft of his daughter, Joanna, who has now fallen madly in love with Antony, who is the stranger outside her window, who also unknowingly helped Sweeney escape prison. Again, a lot's here. A lot's here. Great show. Starting out with The Soprano, Greenfinch and Linnetbird, I had to. It's Joanne. Young Joanna sings this. She's been locked away almost all of her living memory, and she sings to the birds outside her window being sold, wondering if they feel the same way that she does, being literally trapped in a gilded cage. This is a really good aria for young sopranos as well. It's one of the first ones that I, I learned. I will say when you learn this, do be careful. Sondheim is notoriously tricky, and... Like, it doesn't sound hard until you start learning it. Yes. But every single Sondheim piece, when you're learning it, slow down. Learn from my mistakes. So I actually found a countertenor role. Woo! Because there are not a lot of countertenors in musical theater, just like as a whole. But Pirelli and the Beatle can both be considered these higher tenor roles. And the contest is Pirelli's 
it's Pirelli's story that he made up about his false background to prove that he is the best barber in London. Fun fact, he's not. <laughs> Definitely harder to find countertenor roles. A lot of times this is done by regular tenors in their falsetto. But I've heard countertenors do this and it sounds even cooler. Like honestly, even cooler when the Beatle and Pirelli are both done by countertenors. Love it. And now for the my baritone friends. I couldn't pick... So Sweeney has some great songs I couldn't pick. So I picked My Friends or The Epiphany as go-tos for many baritones. Either way, get ready for some safety training with those knives for both of these songs, whether it's your reconnection to them after your years in prison or as you commit to ending Judge Turpin once and for all. Evil. Dun, dun, dun. So true bass roles are actually really hard to find in musical theater as well, but Judge Turpin is definitely down there. His Joanna slash Mea Culpa is a very dark revelation of what has happened to Joanna ever since her father was taken away. Um, If you don't know the show and you're not in therapy, I would suggest getting a therapist before jumping into this one. It's a lot. There's a lot of abuse happening. So if you're not ready for that, We've got other shows. Like Into the Woods, which is a very different plot line. Very different plot line. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very different. Uh, This one's a little bit more fun and light. It's a wild retelling of overlapping fairy tales from Cinderella to Rapunzel, Jack and the Beanstalk to Little Red Riding Hood and more. This massive show is wildly popular with young artist companies due to like the wide array of roles that can be cast. So many roles. (laughs) So many roles. So uh, the soprano piece is on the steps of the palace. Cinderella continuously runs from her prince who has cleverly tossed pitch, which is very sticky, on the stairs of the palace. Good thing he doesn't have to clean it up is what she writes in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm, It's yeah. so sticky. Like, honestly, it's basically tar and it's practically impossible to clean off the steps. I feel awful <laughs> if like this ever really happened in real life and the like all of the servants had to go and like scrub it for days to get it back off (laughs) right and uh cinderella gets stuck in the in the pitch so um that's funny uh moments in the woods is the mezzo piece the baker's wife definitely just made out with cinderella's prince in the woods in a flurried moment after the giantess came down from the sky and has to come to grips with what her reality is and how she'll go back to her husband and new baby except she never makes it Except it never happens. (laughs) She dies at the end of the song. Spoiler alert. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And the tenor piece, Giants in the Sky. Jack has gone up the beanstalk to find giants and the treasure. He sings to Little Red about everything he sees and experienced as only a boy can. While Jack is a kid, he's typically played by older actors, um, even Neil Patrick Harris. Fun fact. I love the concert version that NPH did. It was so much fun. So much fun. Are you going to add that to the Spotify list? If I can find it. I don't think it's on Spotify. It's definitely on YouTube. If it's on Spotify, I'll put it in there. But I actually like the most recent casting of it. Like the the one that was just on Broadway. Mm -hmm. He was phenomenal. I'm putting that one in for sure. So if you want the NPH one, it's on YouTube. Go check it out. Next up is A Little Night Music, which was originally set in the early 1900s. Current productions typically stick with the original time setting, but some have also incorporated steampunk themes like the version I was in. And it's a group of friends who has joined in the countryside at the house of Madame Armfelt. After the recent wedding of Frederick and Anne, 
There are a lot of overlapping lovers, with marriages, a sassy quintet that serves as the Greek chorus, and plenty of lamenting, as one does in the country. As one does. <laughs> as one does. <laughs> it's the country. What else is there to do? They did not have TV or radio. They had themselves and some books. Sometimes painting, sometimes embroidery, mostly just drama. So the mezzo piece I picked from this one is The Miller's Son. Petra, who is the maid, has just been caught with the Armfelt's manservant, Frid, after a, quote, romp in the sweet fantastic. Uh, they were getting it on in the hay. And they have, you know, just like a little bit of a fight because, again, make your own drama. There's no TV. And now she's threatening to marry someone else just to make him jealous. Again, as you do. So Sending the Clowns is Desiree. Desiree can be played by many, many, many different women. I typically cast this in my mind as a contralto role as well. It sits very low. The whole role of Desiree sits pretty low. It typically tends to get cast as an older mezzo whose voice already sits lower, but I feel like contraltos can really rock this. So Frederick has just told Desiree, who is his long lost love, that he loves her, but he can't bring himself to leave Anne, uh, who ironically leaves him for his son Heinrich, who is actually her age. But hurt and bitter, Desiree can only reflect on the nature of her life and relationship with Frederick. It's a really, like, kind of sad... It's It's depressing. And everyone's like, this is my favorite song. It's so lovey. And I'm like, no. (laughs) She just got dumped. And then she got dumped by a guy whose wife left him for his son. And then he still didn't go back to her. Yeah, right? I don't know if it's lovey, but it's depressing. It's 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 gorgeous. It's absolute... It's heartbreaking, I guess, is a good way to describe it. It is... Absolutely beautiful. The Light in the Piazza is done now more than ever, most recently at New York City Center with an absolutely amazing cast. Based on a novella, Piazza is set in the summer of the 1950s in Florence, Italy, and tells the story of Margaret Johnson, a wealthy Southern woman, and Clara, her daughter, who is developmentally disabled due to a childhood accident. When Clara falls in love with a young Italian man, Fabrizio, Margaret is forced to reconsider not only Clara's future, but her own deep-seated hope and regrets as well. The soprano piece is The Beauty Is. Clara's hat has blown off her head, and she has chased it through the city to find herself next to the Uffizi Gallery, where the artwork speaks to her, and she yearns to keep it all in her own life. So I actually chose The Beauty Is over the title song because... The title song is a lot. If you bring it into an audition, it's a 50-50 chance on if your pianist can play it. Honestly, it's so much mixed meter. The Beauty Is shows the same stuff. It still shows your line. It shows your range. And it shows some really gorgeous storytelling as well. And I would personally, I would love to see it more in people's books. And it's sometimes nice to bring a piece, like you said, that shows the same stuff, right? And it's easier for your pianist to play. (laughs) And easier for your pianist to play. Um, But it's not done as much, right? A lot of people are going to pick the star pieces of a show uh, naturally. But if it's still showing off the same stuff and it's still a beautiful piece and uh, your pianist can play it, which is obviously a bonus, um, they're going to hear it less, right? And you'll stand out more in their minds. Statues and Stories is the mezzo piece. It takes place in the early morning of their first day in Florence. Margaret reads from her guidebook to Clara as the piazza around them is waking up and coming to life. So Margaret is definitely a morning person and it's the 1950s. So they have like a literal guidebook with them because like she's rich. She's from the South. She brought a guidebook because it was probably put together for her by something. They're on a cute little girl's trip. Um, so she's got this guidebook and she's reading from it and it's this amazing, amazing, 
gorgeous story of Margaret, her mother, singing about all of these amazing things around them, the amazing history of Italy. If we can't tell, Alyssa is super passionate about musical theater. (laughs) (laughs) And the last piece from this show is the tenor piece. I couldn't pick. (laughs) There's two again. (laughs) Is uh, either Passeggiata or Il Mondo Era Vuoto. Fabrizio is the pinnacle of sweet as he falls in love with Clara. I know, it's so sweet. Uh, Swearing to take care of her. He's just the sweetest. He's He's sweet. I want to put him in my pocket. You know, he's the pinnacle of of sweetness. Uh, When she's lost in panicking, he calms her down before her mother interferes. And later, he and Clara agree to meet at sunset to admire the view of the city from above the Piazzale Michelangelo. So we're only going to cover Beauty and the Beast today when it comes to Disney musicals because (laughs) there are just so many in the canon. But this is the one that has been the most common over the last few years. The French fairy tale was adapted to the stage and had music written by Disney's absolutely beloved Alan Menken. There's very few classic Disney's that were not written by Alan Menken. So my mezzos. Welcome. Belle is one of the very few true mezzo Disney princesses. And in her piece, Home, she has just traded herself for her father and is being held by the beast, dreaming of returning home. So for my baritone basses. Ah, this is a lower voice dream, this show. I love it. I love it so much. So the two leading male roles are Gaston, who is definitely a baritone, and the beast, who can go either baritone or to a bass with a higher extension. It really just depends on your comfort level. For Gaston, in his song, Me, he sings his own praises as he does and tells Belle of all of the amazing possibilities she'll have as his wife. Super humble, super not gross, for sure. (laughs) I love Gaston, though. Like, he's so I love him so much. Like, I love to hate Gaston. He's the best. Exactly. Great character. And then in If I Can't Love Her, Beast has just let Belle go to go help save her father, even though he's realized that he does, in fact, love her, but he knows she'll never love him back if he holds her there. He steals himself away as he watches her leave him behind. And it breaks my heart every time. Absolutely destroys me. Yeah, it's a it's a really good piece. It's another heart-wrenching sort of piece. Oh, I love it. There are other shows that have started being done more and more like Carousel, which is actually personally one of my favorite Golden Age pieces. I do like um, Carousel. It's a good one. I'm not sure a lot of people would say that. Oh, I'm glad you like it. But uh, it's it's definitely one of my favorite Golden Age pieces. While there are some absolutely amazing female roles, Billy is a wonderful bass or bass baritone role, depending on, you know, what you can sing in your comfort level. I feel like a lot of times musical theater is written for, this is for a female, this is for a male. Good luck. <laughs> right. Like, however you can fit into that, if you can sing the notes. This is the range. Go. <laughs> this is for you. <laughs> Two options are If I Loved You, uh, his duet with Julie, as they coyly deny their feelings for each other, even though they totally have the hots for each other. Oh, yeah. And his soliloquy as he comes to the realization that his potential future child uh, may actually be a girl. And, quote, you have to be a father to your girl. <laughs> so you can't just, you know, let them do whatever they want and and not really parent uh, your child. You should also parent boys, just like does statement. With your boy. <laughs> Right. Parent your kids, please. Uh, he basically <laughs> decides, you know, he has to he has to step it up. Uh, he's going to have to step it up as a father. <laughs> I mean, I feel like a lot of it is him also just like realizing that he can't control it and he knows how to parent a boy. He has no idea how to parent a girl. And 
that terrifies him. Yeah, like, exactly. Carousel is another one of those dark pieces. It is absolutely beautiful. Like I mentioned, there are a lot of female roles and a lot of pieces in there for women who who are it's done a lot so <laughs> another one of those uh before you dive in just you know know that it's a little dark as contralto roles become harder and harder to find in popular shows aida is a common story told in both operatic and musical theater and it's based in ancient egypt i will say there's a lot of controversy when it comes to the castings of both the operas and the musicals so definitely do your research before picking this up when in doubt check with a dramaturg or look through the historical castings of these roles Again, with the caveat of blackface is racist, don't do that. But one of the most iconic songs of the musical is Easy As Life, where Aida has to betray the man she loves to save her father and her nation. This is a very strong belt piece and absolutely chillingly powerful whenever I hear it live. I had the pleasure of coaching it last semester at BDC. And oh my God, I love hearing that song live. It's just just stunning again it can be played by a mezzo but if you're a contralto looking for some musical theater stuff aida is going to be your jam the bridges of madison county is set in a rural iowa starting in 1965 with francesca originally played by kelly o'hara one of our favorites i love her is an italian so much just so much love there uh who is an italian war bride who at 18 has an affair with National Geographic photographer Robert. This is a notable Barry tenor role. This takes place after showing him the elusive bridges he was sent to photograph. Years later, Robert has become ill and traveled back to the Madison County bridges he photographed to remember the love that he shared after waiting for a call that never came. Yeah. It's so sad. It's like so depressing, but this song is chillingly gorgeous. Also, just like a fun fact, it was originally supposed to be played by Kelly O'Hara. She did all of the out-of-town stuff, and she did like all the recordings and things, but uh, she actually was pregnant with her second kid and stepped down from the role when it went to Broadway. Oh, no shit. I didn't know that. Yeah, she is just a rock star. Yeah, she is. Kiss Me Kate is an iconic retelling of Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew by Cole Porter. This is one of my absolute favorite shows I've ever been in in my life. I love the show. I wish more people did it. And while there are some iconic soprano and tenor roles, the leading man and baritone Fred Graham plays Petruchio as he produces the Shakespearean comedy alongside his ex-wife Lily Vanessi. So this is a show within a show. It's a whole bunch. It's such a comedy. It's amazing. And you can really hear his frustration in both Where Thine That Special Face and Where's the Life That Late I Led, which are in the shrew portion rather than the life portion where he's fred it's the petruchio side it's it's hard to explain but it's really fun and basically he's yelling at kate or Catherine, which is the character that lily plays in taming of the shrew because she's the quote-unquote shrew because women who don't like men are awful are shrews yeah oh my god it's so much but (laughs) it's such a fun show i wish more people did it and they're both such strong baritone pieces definitely couldn't pick there's two Like we mentioned earlier, true bass roles can be really hard to find in commonly performed shows, but Sideshow has a promising role of Jake, who is smitten with Violet. It's so cute. It's so cute. It's so cute. In You Should Be Loved, he tries to save her from seemingly imminent heartbreak. He confesses that he has loved her for years after overhearing Buddy speak to her twin Daisy about their doubts for their plans. So basically... Daisy and Violet are conjoined twins and they're planning to like have a surgery 
to separate them. Basically, it's a sideshow carnival is the basis for the plot. So they're like a thing and they don't want to lose like the one thing that they have that currently is how they make money, how they make a living. And it's, it's such, such a good show. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Every time I see it, the costumes get better. And, oh, I just love this show. Again, I wish more people did it. For basses who are really struggling to find music, I definitely recommend looking at Patrick Page, who has sung roles such as Frollo in Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hades in Hadestown, Scar in The Lion King, and Max in The Sound of Music, just to name a few. He is an iconic bass performing now. And if you don't know what to do, go check out his website. His resume is up there. Literally just start looking at what he does for musical theater stuff. He is a true bass. And... Or just listen to Hades Town because it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> no, but that's a good thing to mention. Like, it's if you find a professional singer who has, you know, who's famous and they're famous for a reason, most likely. I mean, Patrick Page has been doing this for decades. He's amazing. Yeah, and that they sound like you. You're like, oh, that that voice sounds like me, or those are roles that you know I would like to do. Definitely, just go with their website and check out their resume and see what they're doing to get inspiration on you know other things that maybe you could check out. There are so many roles and songs. We can't talk about them all. I really wish that we could. But if you want more repertoire choices, make sure to tune into our next episode where we'll be discussing new American operas. If you're interested in the music that we mentioned, check out the Spotify playlist that we've curated and it's in the show notes below. Thank you so much for listening. Want to hear more from us? Sign up for our newsletter to gain access to our freebies and other updates. Ellen and I want to make sure that we can keep getting new information out to our singing community, but to do that, we need your help. If you like what you're hearing, make sure that you subscribe wherever you listen. This helps us make sure that you never miss an episode. If you really liked it, we would love if you could take a couple minutes to share this episode with a friend to help us reach our singing community. Are you looking for the resources we mentioned today? Check out our show notes to see everything we mentioned in this episode. I didn't use a whole lot, but there's some. There's a couple. (laughs) There's a couple. And if you want to buy us a coffee to enjoy while we're creating these episodes, it would be much appreciated. And you can drop us a tip wherever you follow us. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Oh my God. I hope I have my voice back next week. I love mezzos. (laughs) I do not identify as a mezzo. Yay, zoo. (laughs) 